seeing the very limited access some women and girls have to sport in, in different countries can be a difficult pill to swallow. I think it was in 2012, I was asked to be a part of the Empowering Women and Girls Through Sport Initiative. I traveled to so many different countries on behalf of the State Department, really sharing my story in sport. You know, I grew up 30 minutes west of New York City in a small town in New Jersey, and I was in a sport where I was often the only brown face, you know, in the sport of fencing. I was certainly the only kid who wore hijab, and I, I know that sport changed my life. One thing that I've always loved about sport is not just its power to change right, the world or like the community, but think of it from a smaller level, how it changes, you know, that kid and how they feel about themselves, really them discovering, you know, their own abilities and the power that they have. From Doha Debates and Foreign Policy, this is The Long Game, a podcast about the power of sports to change the world. I'm your host, Iptihaj Mohammed. And I'm executive producer Karen Given. For our last episode of the season, we have a story from reporter Maria Karimji. Maria lives in Karachi, Pakistan. That's where she came across a young woman whose life has been forever changed by sport. Here's Maria. Boxer Alia Sumro is used to being underestimated. She's 17, but is a tiny waif of a girl, around 5 feet tall and maybe 100 pounds. And when she first started boxing around 10 years ago, everyone dismissed it as being a whim. People would tell me that I don't look like a boxer and said, look at your condition. After I fought in the game, people said the one who doesn't look like a boxer is the one, while the one who does look like a boxer is never the one. Even her mother didn't take her seriously. At the start, I mean, my mother would look at me and say that I won't be able to do it. Girls in our society are considered weak and they won't be able to talk. If anyone says anything to them, they will be afraid and sit back. Alia lives with her family in Liari, an urban slum of Karachi that's got the population of Manhattan crammed into an area that's roughly 15% of its size. Poverty rates here are high, literacy is low, and the area remains fairly conservative, even by Karachi standards. Liari is also infamous for being one of the most violent areas of Karachi. From 2003 to 2015, a brutal turf war between two rival gangs broke out. Things got really bad, with hundreds of people killed in the infighting. Alia, who was a kid at this time, grew up surrounded by the sound of gunfire, popping in the streets. People were scared to even come here. And at the time, there was gang war. There was war among our people. Whenever we stepped outside the house, or if our brothers, fathers, or sons stepped outside, we would fear if they would get shot. During the height of the violence, around 800 people were killed every year. And the Pakistan Rangers, a paramilitary force, started a crime prevention operation in Karachi, rounding up weapons, arresting perpetrators. Alia looked up to the rangers. They made her neighborhood safe, 
دیگر لوگ ہمارے یہاں ایریا میں آنے سے بھی ڈرتے تھے کہ دس از ڈینجر ایریا لاٹس آف پیپل فری ٹو کم ٹو ایریا When I saw how Pakistan Rangers soldiers, one by one, soldiers would be martyred in front of us. In our homes, we'd find bullets from the firing. They'd get in from outside. In our homes, we couldn't even keep ourselves safe at home. We were terrified. But they, without any fear, though they were also somebody's sons, even though they were also somebody's brothers, but they still, without fear, They were fighting our fight, fighting for the country, fighting for our homeland. Right now, Liari is more or less peaceful, although the rangers and police still intermittently conduct raids. There's still many people who are still thinking about what it was like before. They're still scared that if we try and do something, someone may do something to us. Or in the background, they may do something to some children. This is the fear. This is what they're still scared of. Despite all of the violence in Liari, or perhaps because of it, the neighborhood has a rep for turning out incredible athletes. Some of Pakistan's best footballers are from there. And the neighborhood loves boxing so much that Muhammad Ali himself visited Liari back in the 1980s. But as much as Liari's residents are proud of their athletes, they don't always see sports as a route for girls. Mostly girls are confined to the four walls of the house, degrading the girl. When she reaches a certain age, she is married. They do not consider what a boy can study. The girl can do even more than that. And what the boy can do, the girl can also do more than that. When she was a kid, Alia learned that her maternal grandfather had been a boxer. A good one. After listening to the family's history, I was after everyone in the house to start boxing and make a name for the family in the sport, which no one else managed to do. Once I decided I want to learn, I made everyone's life miserable. I kept insisting, insisting that I wanted to train. Ali and her mother found a club close by. Coincidentally, it was owned by a distant relation of Alia's mother, Yunus Kambriani. Coach Yunus told me that even during his childhood, he wondered why there was no boxing for girls. He brought it up to the secretary of the Pakistan Federation, a man who used to be a legendary fighter. But the secretary, he dismissed Coach Yunus. He said girls couldn't box because they had weak chins. Coach Yunus still decided to teach his daughters. He told me, I always thought our children should be powerful. If there's power, there's everything. Alia's mom says she told Coach Yunus not to actually train her daughter. Just let her watch and do her schoolwork. But Alia, she wasn't just sitting in the corner. She was learning to fight and getting recognized for it. I had no idea. Then one day, when I was at work cooking, the baji told me that a girl from your liari was on TV. Look, I told her that this is my daughter. She was like, no, no. When I returned home, I scolded her and spanked her a lot. Her father was saying, she's a small girl. Why are you hitting her? I said that she's a girl. He said, nowadays, girls can get further in life than boys. You're an educated woman. Why are you being so old-fashioned about this? Let it be. Allah knows best. 
Now look, Allah has given her grace and she's gotten so ahead. Still, Alia's mom was worried. Would boxing limit her daughter's prospects? Neighbors would gossip that we've put a girl in this field and she should be given religious education. What have you done? Make her do work that boys do? It's not appropriate. Over 90% of women in Pakistan do not play any sports. In more conservative areas, even the idea is unorthodox. And few of the women who are able to access sports manage to go pro. When I started then, my father was told, don't you have any shame? You're teaching boxing to your daughter. Teach her namaz, make her recite Quran, convey her the message of Allah. What are you teaching her? But for Alia, it wasn't just the disapproval of the neighborhood that was difficult. She also had to scrape together the financial means to box. A lot of the time, she'd get to a competition and realize she didn't have what she needed. For equipment, I faced a lot of difficulties. Sometimes I didn't have one thing and then didn't have another thing. Shoes were torn, bag was torn, there was no tracksuit, no boxing kit. How will I fight? I don't have a mouth guard. I need money. If you have money, you can get anything. But since I didn't have money, how am I going to do it? Alia had to get creative. I would check to see if someone has completed their training with a punching bag. I would train after them. This one time, I asked someone if I could use the bag if they were done training. But two to three people refused. Then this girl, who was also like me, offered me to take it because she was done. Today, Alia is still making do without her own equipment. Coach Eunice has taken out his daughter's equipment and given that to me. I'm using his daughter's things to train. But you know, there is a limit to everything. When will this end? How long am I going to be using someone else's things? Even while I'm using it, what if she doesn't like it one day? Coach Eunice doesn't say anything. But what if someday something happens? There is a problem. She says that you're using my stuff every day. Even if it is said as a joke, if someone says just joking, it's a big deal. It's an insult. It is insulting. But I'm desperate. I have to endure it. You're listening to The Long Game from Doha Debates and Foreign Policy. I'm your host, Ibtihaj Mohammed. And now, back to our story. Initially, when Alia was training, there weren't any formalized opportunities for her to fight. No women's boxing league. But as soon as the league was created, Alia began winning. Sometimes she'd fight other girls who weren't in her weight class. Other times, she'd fight anyone who'd provide her with any sort of challenge. For years, she was undefeated in her class. A rare feat. And as her talent increased... So did the attention, especially at Kalri Ground, the large sporting and events field in Liari, where Alia had first been dismissed by her community. When I last fought against Malaika Zahid in Balochistan and knocked her out in the second round, then I came to Liari, and after coming back, people who didn't earlier know me started recognizing. Then I was chief guest at Kalri Ground, and the people there, The ground where I was criticized was the place where I was given respect, and people said, she is our daughter. 
And other girls who box started using Alia as a benchmark, constantly measuring themselves against her talent. I mean, the girl was from Fakir Colony. She was heavier in weight than myself, but shorter in height. She came to fight. She had passion and could play. She lost the fight against me. After that, whenever she would see me anywhere, she would directly tell me, Come, I'll beat you in the ring. Come, I'll beat you in the ring. This is how our fights took place. Slowly, slowly, she began bickering with me outside the ring and said, I've beaten you. I've been treated unfairly. So whenever she would come, she would say, I'll beat you, I'll beat you. Alia may well be the best female boxer in Pakistan. Her coach certainly thinks so. But as Alia points out, that might not mean as much as you think it does. If I was in India or any other country, and had I been known on social media, then so many clubs would have been established under my name. But Pakistan is the only country where athletes are not respected at all. Even our institution, Pakistan Boxing Federation, is also not being respected. Even those running the federation are not at fault, because if they aren't getting the funds themselves, how will we kids get the support we need? Alia has big dreams. She'd like to go to the Olympics, travel abroad for tournaments. But until she can scrape together the funds and the support of the Federation, none of that is likely. And in the meantime, girls who trained to become boxers are leaving the sport. The girl who always wanted to fight Alia? Alia told me that she too has stopped boxing. But Alia is one of the lucky ones. Three years ago, she caught the interest of the Pakistan Rangers, the same Rangers who kept Liari safe during Alia's childhood. DG Umar Ahmed Bukhari promised me and ensured that I'm not only Pakistan's, but Pakistan Rangers' daughter, and that they'll always stand by my side. He said, don't think of me as a DG in Pakistan Rangers. Think of me like a common man. There were all of these wing commanders, other officers sitting there, and he gave me a relationship to them. This is an uncle. That's an uncle. That's a brother. That's a son. If that's my son, then he's your family too. The Rangers give Alia a small stipend so that she can continue to box, about 5,000 rupees a month, which isn't much. It covers about a week of Alia's family's groceries. But in addition to the stipend, the Rangers have also taken a real interest in Alia's education and future. When I started speaking to them, they said, wow, you're very comfortable talking. Do you have an education? I told them that I've done matriculation and need to start college. The Rangers were impressed. They congratulated Alia's dad for bringing up a well-spoken, confident young woman. And Alia went on to complete her last years of school on the Rangers' dime. Alia is getting ready to sit for an exam that could make her a wing commander in the Pakistan Rangers, which does have women among its ranks. And working for the Rangers will end up changing Alia's life. For starters, it will give her and her family a hefty paycheck, enough to possibly move them out of their flat in Liari and into a safer neighborhood. It means her dad could work less, Alia's mom could quit her job, 
and Alia would have more time to focus on training. When I'm given the resources, if my requirements are fulfilled, my equipment is provided to me, then I have a dream I want to fulfill of admitting both of my brothers in the army public school. And I will do it. I want to see my one brother get recruited in Pakistan Navy and the other in the armed forces. I'd met Ali at her gym, and we agreed to walk over to her house. Before heading out, she gently suggested I pack up my recording kit. Liaria is safer than it used to be, but perhaps I shouldn't walk around with expensive tech. When we reached her house, a long skinny building with a tiled facade, she looked at me sheepishly. Sorry about the danger stairs, she said. We walked inside, then began climbing these steep concrete slabs of stairs. They abutted a wall, but there was no railing. I felt bad that she'd felt the need to apologize. But as we reached the third story, I realized the stairs ended. There was just a wooden ladder nailed into the wall. Danger stairs, Alia told me. Once I got to the top, I couldn't find anything to hold on to. Alia reached out her arm, and I grasped it. Despite everything I knew about her athletic talents, I was still surprised by her strength. Alia and I had spoken already about her family's financial difficulties, but her father helped me understand just how much more dire the situation was. Alia's fame and hard work has gotten them out of a few scrapes. Last year, during the monsoon, their roof caved in. A local nonprofit connected to Alia helped them rebuild. But Alia's dad still struggles to make ends meet. He's a construction worker. There's weeks that he isn't able to find work or bring home any money. Sometimes they starve. But Alia says things would be much worse if not for her father. She calls him Baba. I face a lot of difficulties when I go to fight. Sometimes, when Baba doesn't have the money to give me for commute, I have to walk. Places that I have to reach early, I arrive late to. We have to starve sometimes, because sometimes there is food, sometimes it's not. Sometimes when there is food, we eat at one time. And if it isn't there, then we're on hunger strike. Learning about the odds stacked against Alia, realizing that despite being one of the best boxers in the region, she sometimes doesn't have enough food to eat, it made me mad. I've been a reporter in Pakistan for over a decade now, and I'm rarely as impressed with someone as I am with Alia. She's remarkable, funny and wise and really aware of how much more the world could offer her and what she's able to offer the world. But while Alia's boxing career and support from the Rangers hasn't pulled her family out of poverty yet, her parents told me that Alia's story has changed things for girls and women in Liari, and the community is no longer pressuring Alia to get married. No, nobody's saying that. What's the use of her hard work if she gets married? People are now even supporting us because we worked hard. They talk against getting her married and support Alia in moving forward. Right now, they're able to see that a girl is getting ahead and our neighborhood's name is becoming glorified. The countries do. They're also finding the confidence before they were saying that they were against their kids doing this. But now, they are also encouraging their own kids to get ahead. Alia agrees. 
In our society, if one girl like me can get to a position and become something, accomplish something, then because of me, those who aren't even allowed to go outside will get permission to do that. And in those houses, even if one girl becomes a boxer, then Liari has a huge population. There will be over at least a hundred girls who will be into boxing and they will do so thinking that if Alia Sumro can do it, despite the difficulties, we will also do it. Inshallah. That's it for this episode of The Long Game. I'm your host, Iftihaj Mohammed. The Long Game is a co-production of Doha Debates and Foreign Policy. Our executive producer is Karen Given. Today's story came from reporter Maria Karimji, with translations and additional producing by Rabia Mushtaq. Voiceovers by Anila Sheikh and Aiza Alam Bakai. We had help from Dan Efron, Rob Sachs, Jafit Weeks, Amjad Atala, and Jigger Mehta. Make sure to follow us on Apple or your favorite podcast app, and please leave a review. To learn more, subscribe to Foreign Policy, a global magazine of news and ideas, or visit Doha Debates, a production of Qatar Foundation. <laughs>